You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Did you see the trending hashtag, hashtag Joe Biden silenced women? I know, yeah, I, I, the, the, all then, the drama this week. Yes, and I then did. K-pop took it over. <laughs> Which, speaking of of uh, Joe Biden hashtag trending, think everything that yeah. he actually was able to get sworn in, and there was not. Did you see what uh, QAnon was hoping for? Um, I know that they were hoping for revolutions. Why QAnon thought that Trump had set this trap up? which is why he was flying out, uh-huh. right, to avoid the trap. Yeah. They thought he set this trap up where people, where all the Democrats were going to be hanged publicly on TV. Like, they thought that Trump had set this master plan that all these Democrats, like Nancy Pelosi, all these uh-huh. people who attended were going to be hung there on TV, and Donald Trump was going to remain in power. Wow. That was their main, like, that was their storm coming, their, like, prophecy prediction. And, <laughs> and then all of the people on QAnon were like, um, so we were lied to? What do we believe in now? I did, I did see things about a lot of lies because a lot of people um, did at least believe that something was going to happen. That he wasn't just going to leave. Mm-hmm. You know, he was going to... I thought something was going to happen. I thought he was going to say, a, even if he just gave a speech that was like, burn the place down or something. <laughs> like, I thought there was going to be some sort of attempt at something. You know, the thing about Donald Trump, though, because what he realized, I, I think that he he tried some of that on January 6th when he did the... When he encouraged the insurrection... And when he found and saw the strong backlash that came to it, he's always been a coward. He always Mm -hmm. will be. And the coward that he is knew then, like, you don't have the support. You think you have the support of people. You think that because 75 million people voted for you, they Mm -hmm. support you. And and to an extent, they did. But they didn't support him that hard. They just really hated the other side. Exactly. Probably 70 million of the people that voted for Trump just really hated the other side or they've always voted Republican or maybe they really believe that Trump has done good but they don't like him otherwise. 70 million of those people really have very loose allegiance to Trump. Uh, right. And then 5 million are rabid, hardcore supporters mm-hmm. who would try to overthrow the country for him but that that 5 million has to then go against the you know 300 million exactly. of the rest of us. And those 5 million I, I don't understand how the Trump Trumpites, what are they going to be called now? The Trump, the Trumpettes. I don't see <laughs> how they don't understand that they are the United States version of like the Taliban or like these other radicalized groups. Well, because nobody ever knows that they're in a cult when they're in a cult. B- but you're literally doing the exact same thing. You you're never like, know. I want religion to rule. I uh-huh. want women to not have rights. I want gays not to not have rights. I want to have all of these weapons. Fuck the government. Mm-hmm. Fuck everything. Like, how do you not see that you're the exact same? I that you can't cult mentality. You can't explain because it doesn't 
makes sense. We're actually going to talk a little bit about cults today, just as happens to be part of the episode. But that is, it's right on point because you cannot, a person in a cult, they have, their mind has been controlled to where it is impossible for them to see that they are in a cult. Uh, while Am they're in, in it, while they're you're in, in a cult, it. if you're listening to this podcast, no, now the if cult you can, <laughs> of Christianity. if you can get them out of it and get them separated from that for a little while, which I think we will start to see more and more QAnon mm-hmm. and, and Trumpets are going to kind of wake up because now that Trump cannot talk to them, now that they've been taken away from a lot of their means of social media, not all of their means, they can still get on forums and such. Now that they've seen that a lot of their connections, they're not as connected as they were you're going to see more people wake up because that's what happens to people in a cult. They finally get removed, whether forcibly or um, unintentionally. And as soon as they begin to step away from that, they begin to wake up. Mm -hmm. But when they are in it, they cannot see it. So yes, it makes no sense. But it doesn't matter how many articles you write. It doesn't matter how many speeches you give. The people in it are not going to see it. And you're not trying to get those people. You're trying to maybe get the people on the fringes and you're trying to prevent more people from joining. Um, the the leading cult expert, Stephen Hazan, wrote a book about the Trump of cult, which I just ordered. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. The but Trump of cult? The, the cult of Trump. Oh, okay. Sorry, the Trump like, of that's cult. That's an interesting title. <laughs> <laughs> the Trump of cult. The cult of Trump by Stephen Hassan. And uh, I, I'll let you all know once I read it. Yeah, but, read it and then let me borrow it. Yeah, it's... it's um, I'm very excited to read it because it's... Uh, it, it is a cult. You cannot look at the the inner circle, not 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 people who voted for him in general, but like the inner circle right. of fierce Trump supporters, and not call that a cult. It clearly is. Mm-hmm. I mean, they think he's the Messiah. They think he's the second coming yes, of Christ. They do. They think he's yeah. And of course. part of it is because the evangelicals praised him so much because he was giving them all the fucking tax breaks. Like yeah. these people with billions and billions of dollars, of course they're going to praise that he's the Messiah because he's keeping all your money. They're keeping all your money. They don't have to give it to the government anymore. Are you kidding me? Of course. Speaking of escaping a cult, on our Jack Hiles page, which is Mm -hmm. our number one Google result page, we have a massive fucking link right at the top that says, if you're in a cult and trying to escape, or if you or someone you know is in a religious abusive environment trying to escape, please contact us or the Vashit. Vashti initiative. Yes, that place. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's Yeah. Just Google Jack Hiles and click that link if you need help. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know what? Honestly, it does me, it brings me great joy to know that we, when you Google Jack Hiles, we rank right up there. Yeah, I think we're the third result. (laughs) Love it. You know, good. Mm -hmm. After all the man put me through and many people I love. Um, But yeah, the Vashti Initiative is actually launching, um, soft launch on February 1st. So right after this episode Mm -hmm. drops and we're launching a national hotline so people can call in if they're experiencing abuse and they need resources. We're launching our resource navigator program to put people in touch with local resources that they have, help them um, develop those or get in contact with those. We're, de- we're launching a couple of our support groups, not all of them, but some of them. And we're launching our career development program. So it's good a things freaking launch. It's a big launch. So there's a lot of people that have been working on this and that's only half the program. So the rest of the programs will launch in July. So wow. that's good. good. You have like the whole <clears throat> roadmap and everything. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. But all that to say, I don't know where we got, we weren't going all of that. And I was going to, I didn't even get a chance to say that we need to recognize the social media warriors that K-pop fans are because they are constantly taking these horrible hashtags from the right and turning them into something so much better they are always no matter what k-pop fans and tiktok kids 
Mm. Well, I can't really call them because they're teens and young adults. Um, yeah. I'm like, I'm like a grandpa now. 28 <laughs> and I'm Gen like a grandpa. Z really is. I'm like, wow, you guys are young. You're <laughs> the future of this country, you know? I know. Like, like I'm talking like the young people are watching. <laughs> like I'm fucking old as hell. But um, like when they bought out or they like signed up for that Trump thing and they say mm. Trump thought he had like 2 million people coming and it was like 10. Because they, <laughs> exactly. The, like the internet and like the... The activism of the future is going to mm. be so different than yeah. what we saw. And it's incredible the way that these communities are finding to like say, hey, fuck you. You think you're taking this over? Watch what we can do because we actually are the numbers. Yeah. We're not. You're not the majority like you think you are. You're yeah. just you might be loud. But guess what? We can be louder. It's so interesting because, you know, the older generations are so afraid of technology and they're so afraid of everything that will come with it mm-hmm. as they meanwhile um, let big tech run unregulated. But they but they're afraid of it. And then and the whole time these younger generations coming up who understand it because they were born into it. Exactly. So they know it like you think you're going to win a war against young people, but you're not. This is their you're just not. this is their territory. Mm-hmm. You're not going to compete with the young people on their technology yeah. territory. I'm sorry. You're not. Don't care how much money you have. You're not going to buy. I mean, it, that's the one thing about money. It always runs out. Right. Look at how mm-hmm. many rich people in history have been dethroned, decapitated because your money only buys you so far. Eventually. You, you know, you end up like Marie Antoinette and you end up um, like all those people that were yep. beheaded in the French Revolution because your money's not going to buy off the anger of the people that you tread on. Like, wake the fuck up. Yep. That's why I was saying before, like when you had like the steam revolution, right? Mm-hmm. People were taken advantage of and then they fought back and you had like all these worker rights. And then you had yeah. the same thing with like... Uh, I don't know why I can't think of what it's called. The American Industrial Revolution. Yeah, the industri- yeah. Um, You know, people got shit on. They were working these horrible hours and they stood up and then you had labor unions. Mm-hmm. Same thing's happening with technology. Yeah. The United States production per person, per employee has gone up by like 400%, but their wages haven't moved. Mm-hmm. So like now you have this younger generation coming in and saying, fuck you, watch what we can do. And it's going to be the same thing. The next revolution, yeah. who knows what we're going to get next, but yep. it's going to be on the backs and the, the hands, right? The fingers of these people <laughs> who are taking the initiative and they're really making shit happen and yeah. it's there coming people it's you hold coming. on to your money all you want you better start uh yeah turning into a good corporation real quick otherwise you're gonna get dethroned exactly we'll watch you it happen be... and we will not feel sorry for oh, you no let it burn i don't give two fucks whatever who cares i mean the money that they've got they're fine if they're not dragged down to the streets and murdered i mean again if they deserve it they deserve it (laughs) as long as it's not me please don't do that to me (laughs) well i don't think either of us qualify for being rich as we do this podcast for for free going on three years (laughs) hey you know what you know what we have helped countless people i'm fine with doing it for free but if somebody wants to sponsor us or like incorporate (laughs) us into their network i'm okay with that as well there we go Anyways, well, we should get to our subject at hand. We've been rambling way too much at the beginning of. We did our better this episode than most. Yes, I know. The last time, I'm like fucking 15, 20 minutes in. Come on. We got five minutes episode, and then we're like, all right, break time. We'll be back. Did we say the history show? No, this is just Evan and Paul talk show. Everybody knew that already. Mm-hmm. They've been listening. That's why we have the introduction now, though. Yes, true. Because otherwise, true. somebody would click on and be like, who the fuck are these what people? I thought this episode was about Ellen, and they've been talking about Trump for fucking 15 minutes. <laughs> we should have added a little disclaimer. If you want to, like we always say, if you want to mm-hmm. hear it, jump 10 minutes ahead. But Then whatever. you're going to miss all the good shit. 
exactly. Before we begin our episode for today, we want to pause in honor of Holocaust Remembrance Day, which is recognized on January 27th of each year. It was on this day in 1945 that the Soviet the Soviet Army liberated Auschwitz-Birkenau, the largest of the 40 complexes known as Auschwitz extermination camps operated by Nazis during World War II. Since the last 1990s, since the late 1990s, countries across Europe have observed various days of remembrance. However, in 2005, the United Nations chose January 27th as an international day of remembrance. Now more than ever, it is essential that we call to the memory of the grave injustices of our past. As hate crimes and unrest mount in Europe and America, we must look to those moments to be reminded of where hate will inevitably lead us. Holocaust Remembrance Day sheds light on the 6 million Jews and 11 million others whose lives were lost as a result of a few men's hate and several millions people chosen ignorance. Jews, Romani, Slavs, and the disabled, and LGBTQ plus people were all targeted and slaughtered simply because they were seen as inferior. And I'm glad this is highlighted because this is what we were like warning people against under Trump. Mm -hmm. Like, you are ignoring all of these things, these people trapped at the borders, these kids caged, these Mm -hmm. people being murdered left and right, and you're just saying, well, they shouldn't have broken the law. Yeah. And that's what they told the people in Germany, you know? Oh, they're breaking the law, or they're this, or they're that. It's their fault that we are losing our jobs. It's their, they're taking the jobs, they're taking the money, they're taking this from you. It's not the the government that's fucking you over it's not these giant corporations fucking you over it's Mm -hmm. these people who are trying who have walked 300 miles on their fucking feet trying to get to freedom that are taking the jobs from you yeah it's not us holding you know 99 percent of the wealth in 10 fucking people it's not the problem well it's like martin luther king jr said remember what happened to the jews was completely legal so just because something is legal just when you call out for law and order that's just a justification for your own bad behavior it's often hiding the things that you're done doing mm-hmm. let us remember our history so that we may call out these injustices when they first rear their ugly heads and not after such devastation of life if you would like to learn more about how lgbtq plus people were persecuted during world war ii check out our episodes on the pink triangle and parts one and two of lily and felicia also check out our discrimination on the military Check out our Discrimination in the Military episodes, which cover how black and LGBTQ soldiers were given a blue discharge upon returning from World War II. These discharges were handed out without cause and stripped a soldier from any veteran's benefits they had earned. For LGBTQ plus soldiers, the blue discharges also served as a public outing which further hindered them from gaining housing or employment once they returned home. January 30th, 1946 marks the first time a report was brought before a House committee on the subject of the baffling discharges. It would be decades before these soldiers would see the justice and recognition they deserved. All of this is a reason to pause and think about the great sacrifice the great sacrifices made for freedom of identity and expression as well as a warning to the links some will go in order to stifle these human rights human rights but we're still voting on them in 2020 yep 2021 we are out of that shit year (laughs) start (laughs) this year shut it off pretty rough but i think we can make some progress i think we'll be okay i think we might turn a little bit around who knows but now, let's turn our attention to the episode at hand as we celebrate the 63rd birthday of America's most well-known comedian and lesbian, Ellen DeGeneres. Also, before we go too much further, congratulations uh, Jojo Siwa on coming out. Who? Jojo Siwa. It was that, that little girl that walks around with the half ponytail or whatever? Yes. Oh, did she come she out? She came out on Twitter. She posted a picture of her in a shirt that said, best gay cousin ever. 
And she retweeted things from Todrick Hall and stuff saying um, congratulations on coming out. So it wasn't like she wore it in celebration of her cousin. She wore it for her. For herself. Um, So that's great because all of, you know, she's really, really popular among young girls. Yeah. And I shouldn't just say young girls, among young kids. And Uh to have someone to look up to if you're, you know, a lesbian or maybe questioning or anything as a young age, that's pretty impressive. Because I didn't have anybody so public and so famous to really be like, wow, look at how successful and, and normal they are. Yeah. That's the thing. It gives these people some normalcy to look up to, you know, and some success. Yeah. And she's not just like a... What is that? That is my dryer. Oh. I was like, <laughs> do you have a train track near your house? What is going on? I know, it always sounds like that. Um, one time, when, uh, since it's running anyways, one time when... Uh, when we, remember when we had that earthquake like a couple months ago? Yeah, the one that months? I didn't feel. Yeah, well, I was sitting down here and that dryer was going and all of a sudden I felt the ground shake and I thought it was a dryer. I was like, what the fuck is that thing doing now? Because it, <laughs> like, it sounds like... <laughs> lifting off the ground as it fucking rumbles. Um, but no, I think having like Jojo Siwa and seeing like a strong young woman who's just doing her thing, having fun, dancing, making music, and she's not just... Um, represented by sex and drinking and smoking and like it's so great that they have somebody to look up to who is so who who came out and like it she's just a, a, an average person yeah she's a celebrity you know but an average person yeah and that's just so powerful and people don't realize that um so we've been meaning to get to this episode for quite some time, but with the recent passing of her birthday on January 26th, we felt it appropriate to honor the star who's done a lot more than just tell a few good jokes. For nearly a quarter of a century, Ellen has been an open advocate for LGBTQ rights and lived her own queer life openly, even when it cost her dearly. Her humor and desire to spread good in the world has allowed her to enter the homes of even the most staunch anti-LGBTQ critics. But who was Ellen before she became an international star, and what makes her so likable to the general public? Let's dive into her story. Born on January 26, 1958, Ellen grew up in Metairie. I looked it up, but... Metairie? Metairie. If I was going to say it like a Louisiana, Metairie. That you just pissed everybody off who listens from. We just <laughs> got from Louisiana is like end end, and we're gonna get real hate mail. From she grew up in Louisiana, <laughs> the unincorporated region has no local oversight or governing body, though it is loosely overseen by the larger Jefferson Parish. I know it's like it's like Prairie, but Metairie. It's Metairie. <laughs> lays along the Gulf Coast, not far from New Orleans, and basking the warmth and beauty of a subtropical climate. Aside from Ellen, the only other notoriety recently attained by the small area was the 1990 election of white supremacist leader David Duke, who served as a single-term state legislator. So, you know, you got Ellen, or you got the white supremacist. (laughs) Whichever one you want to be uh, recognized for. Mm In this humid region that is still developing and growing, Elliot and Elizabeth DeGeneres gave birth to two children, Vance and Ellen. They raised their children in the Christian science faith. Isn't that a cult too? Yes, that's why I said we were going to talk about cults. Okay. <laughs> Christian Christian science was a religion formed in the decade following the Civil War and differs from mainstream Christianity with its heavy focus on the concept of the metaphysical family. This is a belief that the spiritual world is the true reality and everything else is an illusion. Christian science developed as part of the Great Awakening in America, which took place after the war on slavery. During this time, a morally and literally bankrupt nation found itself struggling with the traditional Christian values that had drawn it to this point. 
Many felt disconnected from their former congregations and sought something new to make sense of the chaos. Science and medicine were on the verge of a breakthrough as the second industrial revolution took off in Northern American states. And with this combination of great grief and new enlightenments came an odd combination of so-called science and religions. One such religion was Christian science. Sounds like a fucking cult and a half if I ever heard one, and I don't even know anything about it. Well, I know a little bit about it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, Christian science, and and, and you're not going to be surprised, but it has nothing to do with science. No, it has to do with (laughs) Christian science, like black flames and... It's a all different kind, kind of science. Different kind of science. <laughs> it's the kind of science where we ignore all the other science and we only look at our science. If anybody's looking to um, cast hillbilly voice actors, <laughs> we could run that shit so good, so well. We would be great. So well. Which is really sad because Christian science had its its uh, start in Boston. So we should be like, <laughs> what's it? Um, my name's Boston Bobby, and I'm here, and we're going to talk about Christian science. No, anything that's like... Where's the Celtics? <laughs> anything that's religious in my mind automatically goes to Hillbilly, and I, I don't know, know why. I'm so that's bad at our prejudice. That's that is our it, prejudice. That is our prejudice. It's true. But also, it's also accurate. It's a little accurate. I mean, it is the Bible Belt, and there's it's very much Christian, but it is prejudice, because this did start in Boston. The movement was first started by a clockmaker named Phidias Quimby. Uh, that's a cult leader if I ever heard one. <laughs> if you name your kid Phineas, you are definitely like one of two things, Phineas. You're going to have to be a comedian or you're going to have to lead a cult. Or you're going to get picked on in school. Oh, for sure. But that's happening regardless. Yes, really. Phineas Quimby, who claimed to heal a woman with mind control. But it was his patient, Margaret Baker Eddy, who really stole the show and became the founder of Christian Science. She wrote the best-selling book, Science and Health, and started her first church in Boston. Massachusetts in 1879. Eddie taught her followers that their fears and concerns about the world were all in their minds and that by focusing their thoughts they could heal any ailment. Deadly teachings for any person in the deep throes of depression or struggling from a physical illness or injury. Margaret also taught this concept of malicious animal magnetism. That's what it's called. Malicious animal magnetism, which was the belief that people could die from bad thoughts. Jesus. In fact, she chalked up the death of her third husband to malicious animal magnetism. I did not poison that man. (laughs) I did not slip him arsenic. He just had malicious animal magnetism. You know what I'm talking about, Judge. Malicious animal magnetism. He had so many bad thoughts in his his body that it just came through from the arsenic that I put into his his drink. (laughs) It was most likely that her husband simply fell ill and was denied treatment due to the religious teachings. Um, so, I, um, Christian oh, science. Oh, these fuckers that are like, no, my child's yeah. dying, but he's not getting the treatment at the Christian, hospital. Yeah, exactly. Christian science don't believe in medicine. They don't, yeah. Modern medicine, hospitals, anything like that. I love that it's called Christian science. <laughs> they're scientists. Well, With come on. Literally, the second word is science, but they're like, no, science is the devil. <laughs> Christian science. It's like Scientology that believes that fucking aliens or there's another planet out there with aliens mm-hmm. and they're calling that Scientology and that if you hold this little meter, it's going to tell you where you are and you and you just got to read enough of their books and your positivity or whatever the fuck is going to go up. So, so yeah, all these people just using the word science. Anyways, between 1887 and 1990, more than 50 sets of parents were charged with allowing their child to die because of Christian science teachings, and the death toll has only continued to rise in the last 30 years. And this is just the cases that were put to court mm-hmm. where parents are charged. This isn't including all the adults that let themselves die because right. they wouldn't receive treatment. 
Though the religion has steadily declined since the turn of the century, it was doing well in the 1960s when Ellen was a child. Until the age of 13, she never had a single medication, vaccine, or hospital visit. But as with everything else, Ellen DeGeneres retold stories of this time in a humorous fashion and spoke about it during her 2018 Netflix, Netflix special, Relatable. Which this is kind of what we talked about. If you live through trauma and crazy ass <laughs> shit, you're just funny. You are. Because that's the only way to survive it, right? You yeah. have to look. That's also my. <laughs> Evan's like, we're recording a podcast. I have the loudest dryer in the world. Let okay. me run this before Paul gets here. This is my our special guest today. My dryer in the background. Um, no. Surviving trauma and crazy ass situations is what makes you funny because you either can be miserable from it mm-hmm. and live your life miserable. Or you can look at it and say, oh my God, that was fucking crazy. Look how funny this is. It's yeah. just the only way. That's that's why we're so funny. You also can go to therapy and help process it, but you'll probably still have a very dry and dark sense of humor, yep. which is okay. Yep. Um, where was I? Oh, you her, what she my said. Inti- should I read it like my funny lesbian voice that I did in the um, episode two that we got a bunch of lesbian hate Yeah, no, from? I don't think or, so. Uh, episode three was it? What was it? I don't know, did? but it was early Episode on. five, Daughters of Belitis. I read that poem and we got a lot of hate from lesbians. <laughs> well, people thought we were making fun of the poem, which it was a very... I was slightly making fun of the poem. poem that's uncomfortable, to but read. not because it was a lesbian poem, because it was so graphic. Because they were talking so much about, yeah. Mm-hmm. So my entire childhood, I never had any vac- vaccination, never had any medicine. They believed we are spiritual beings having a material experience in the material world, and their mantra was "know the truth." And their truth was that there is no pain unless you give it pain with your mind. One time, I split my knee open and my bone was exposed, and my dad told me to know the truth, and I said. Well, the truth is, my bone is exposing its material self to the material world. Help me. And then I passed out. Which, <laughs> which here's the thing about Christian science is mm-hmm. a lot of, um, oh, I don't know how, the proper word. I don't want to say age, Asian religions, but like Buddhism and stuff, mm-hmm. they do practice and teach like, um, you know, focus your mind on healing and, yeah. and things like that. But they also combine that with modern medicine and things. So you right. have to have a balanced approach. I do think that, you know, having negative thoughts or having good thoughts will affect you. Mm-hmm. But you can't have that being your entire existence. There has to be also modern medicine and modern teachings and modern understandings of things. Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's the, there's also the practical idea, which I, I, I'm not attributing this to Family Guy, but it's interesting because uh, a couple years ago, Family Guy did an episode on Christian science where Lois steals a baby because the baby has cancer and the parents are going to let it die. And she gives a point that a lot of other people have made, but it's just a, a humorous way to look at it. But she, she says, you know, you believe in a God who's going to cure everything. I can't believe it. Wow. And usually it's the dogs, it's the kids. And if it's not, if the house is perfectly quiet. Evan's like, the house is going to be quiet today. What can I do to make this not <laughs> Put quiet? the humidifier on. I'm going to put the dryer on. I have my phone at max volume, so if I get a call. <laughs> uh, Lois makes this point of like, you know, you believe in a God that's supposed to heal you. Why can't you believe that this God also created medicine and doctors and the advances that we have today to heal you? And, and it just goes so it goes to that whole point of 
anything that's with Christian science or with a cult where there's this idea of like, I can't access anything that's around me because somehow when God made everything, it was perfect. And now it's all been corrupted. So I can't access anything, but then I'm still going to try to achieve some kind of perfection that would be impossible because we are thousands and really millions of years removed from it. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's just all of that. But that, you know, that was the life that Ellen was in. Um, and then another example, Ellen spoke of the family sphere of medication. She said, my grandmother lived with us when I was a little girl. And if an aspirin commercial came on the air, she would get up from the sofa, go to the TV, turn it down and stand in front of it and hum a hymn really loudly. So you could imagine my fascination with aspirin when I was a little girl. Like, what is aspirin? I would be in the car and when we would drive to the pharmacy, I'd be like, I'm going to get me aspirin someday. My parents divorced when I was 13 and I went through sort of a bad girl phase. I was on one aspirin, one or two a day. I was on, I was on aspirin a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny because um, David and I, when we watch things, we see these, like we watch TV shows, you see these really over-controlling parents. Mm -hmm. And it's that thing. If you over-control your child and don't let them do anything, they're going to go wild when they right. get that freedom. Like, look at yourself. I'm just, just going to use you, you just, as an example. No, it's true because you just make everything seem like it's so like, oh my God, like if I do this, I'm going to be so bad. And then you do that. It's not really that bad, but you also were like, I probably didn't need to make that mistake. Well, that, that was kind of the same thing with me where I wasn't controlled by my parents, but mm -hmm. I controlled myself mostly out of like, you know, low self-esteem and things. So I like repressed myself so much. And then when I finally felt comfortable with myself, I just went wild because I finally felt like I could do those things, you know? And it just, yeah. You really got to let your kids have a little freedom, people. That's Coming true. from somebody with no kids, I'm speaking from experience. That's true. <laughs> um, this religion, not uh, Christian science, not only preys on these people who believe these things, but think about the grief they're preying on mm, because they're yeah. like letting all of these family members die. So these people are upset. They're mm -hmm. devastated that they just lost somebody. What? That's how religion keeps bringing you in. So yeah. by literally letting your congregants lose family members or letting your congregants die you're just building your religion you keep even them vulnerable. yeah exactly you keep them vulnerable because people are dying and you're like no it's okay they're just in the spirit realm now you'll be there one day stay with mm -hmm. this and it's just so easy to see how this can be such a controlling religion oh absolutely yeah and then it, and it easily creates the us versus them mentality mm -hmm. of everybody hates us and what we're doing because they don't understand us right. and then in your grief you can't get through that like you would think that grief would push a person out of a cult and sometimes it does but mm -hmm. mostly usually it's it pulls them back in specifically because the cult's for there said. for them you gave the perfect example of yeah um i think you said you had just lost your father and you went mm -hmm. you your mom yeah. moved into this new place and everybody bought christmas gifts oh yeah so it's just like that you know it brings you in you're like oh my god these people care about me in reality they don't yeah they're they're they are showing that so that they can bring you in and they can have they, it's a mind control tactic mm -hmm. and then you they slowly ease off and then it, it switches around and all of a sudden now they're demanding things of you but mm -hmm. whenever any person joins a cult it's always a wonderful experience and they're like wow these people are so happy and oh my gosh what's going on there it's here is exciting and mm -hmm. i feel so loved to support it and then by the time they're bought in, they don't even realize that the tables have been flipped on yep. them and now they're just being used and abused yep. and extorted. But yeah, on that, that note, <laughs> we will be right back. Hello, Christians. We just want to remind you all that Sojourner House of Rhode Island is offering two important free national services at this time. 
Any person in the United States who identifies as a victim of domestic violence, sexual assault, and or human trafficking can take part in their free virtual support groups every Monday and Tuesday. It's a healthy and accessible way for victims to find support, especially during this time of uncertainty due to COVID-19. The other service they're offering is a free at-home HIV testing kit. In order to receive yours, you simply have to send in a request to khawkins at sojournerri.org. That's k-h-a-w-k-i-n-s at sojournerri.org and set up a brief consultation. Then a test will be shipped to your home free of charge and you can self-administer and receive results within 20 minutes. After a few days, a Sojourner House representative will contact you just to make sure you have all the resources you need. There's no payments or further stipulations required for anyone receiving this important service. So connect with Sojourner House today and send in your request for support. If you have trouble getting through, then feel free to message Paul and Evan at yourqueerstory at gmail.com or message us on any social media platform at yourqueerstory. back so when we left we were talking about um how ellen degeneres was born into a family that practiced christian science and uh, if you want to check out stuff on margaret baker eddy you can there's a lot of good books out there um the last podcast on the left is one of my favorite podcasts for like uh true crime and um they actually did a a long series on her pretty recently in the last year who's margaret baker eddy she's the woman who started who really she didn't start christian science but she made christian science a thing there you go so um if you want to check out more on her but um ellen's parents divorced in 1973 and ended ellen's time as a christian scientist can christian scientists divorce um i don't know that's a good question they have. They seem to have well, a. It's all an illusion. Religion, so yeah. how could you not divorce if it's all well, an illusion? Well, you know how certain oh yeah, religions are like if you if you divorce, oh, yeah. you're committing the greatest sin. You have to stay in this marriage with your husband, even though he cheats on you every night, and even though you hate him, and even <laughs> though you're absolutely miserable. If you don't do it, God won't love you. Well, I think that um, those but those other religions are very much in this world, and Christian Science doesn't believe that this world is anything. Oh, okay. That this is I, all I an illusion saying, in our yeah. mind. So who cares if you're married or divorced mm-hmm. or whatever? I I don't, but I don't know the answer. Right. Either way, Ellen's parents did divorce. And though her father would remain in the religion until his death at age 92, Ellen was no longer a Christian scientist. The family had a horrible split with Vance staying with dad and Ellen moving with mom to Atlanta, Texas. Not Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Texas. Didn't know that was a place. <laughs> you get excited to go and then you're like, oh, Atlanta, Texas. <laughs> it's literally, they got like a population 192, just real, right. real deserty and real dry. There's literally no city. A little city. different. Plot twist, Atlanta, Texas is a right? fucking huge hub. <laughs> uh, probably. But, I, but, on, but honestly, I wonder how much more her little queer self would have thrived in Atlanta, Georgia That's versus true. Atlanta, Texas. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Ellen's Ellen's mom had met and remarried a salesman named Roy Grusendorf. The move and divorce, I don't feel bad. He has an awful last name and I don't feel bad because he was a, he was a very awful person. Oh, that sucks. So Roy Grusendorf, the move and divorce of her parents were made a hundred times worse by Ellen's new father who molested and abused her. Oh my God. I didn't Thing, know that. Yeah. She, she um, started talking about it more recently. She mentioned it in one of her books um, and then more recently mm-hmm. in the last few years. Things escalated one night when Ellen's mom was out of town. That night, Ellen locked her stepfather out of her room and he attempted to kick down the door. She ran away for the night until her mother returned but kept the abuse to herself. 
Ellen was afraid that telling her mom would cause her mom pain. Later, she told host David Letterman, I should never have protected her. I should have protected myself. And I didn't tell her for years. And then I told her and then she didn't believe me. And then she stayed with him for another 18 more years. Yeah. Um, childhood abuse and something is something that I've been like uh, writing about. Still working on my book. Not in any rush to finish it. I write when I have the yeah. inspiration. Um, but I've realized kind of through reading other people's accounts and through my own like it's really always a secret because the child no matter what feels some shame yeah like you know i remember going to school and being so embarrassed about what i had been through i didn't tell any of my friends not that i didn't face any sexual abuse or anything like that i was fortunate in that regard but um just like the mental trauma and the psychological trauma and everything it's kept such a secret and you don't realize that talking about it is the way to heal through it and it's not you don't have to be ashamed of it and i always thought I was protecting my mom by not talking about it but she was a victim herself too so I didn't have to protect her yeah and it just it it really is something that I hope as a society going forward we talk about more and is less stigmatized and less like um because you feel like you're the burden bearer yeah by holding the secret in and it just wears weighs you down and you don't even realize it yeah so i totally you know you could see why she did that well yeah we you know we we you know we have two foster children who we're hoping to adopt and we talk very openly with them about their abuse now some downside of that is that occasionally when they're with a stranger they'll drop a very traumatic little nugget from their life but the other thing is that they're not holding it in. Mm-hmm. They know that they can talk about these things and we can process these things. We can be angry about them. We can be sad about if them. If you just hold it in, you, I held it in for fucking like 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And it just, you don't realize the, the, the weight that it really has because yeah. once I wrote about it and I got it off my chest, I was like, I feel like an entirely different person. So I'm yeah. glad that you're, you know, taking that with them because they're not going to carry that into their adulthood. Like, this massive secret that they have yeah. to hold. Yeah, I want them to be angry about it now so that they can be free. They'll exactly. never be fully free from it, but the, they can be It doesn't more own free. them anymore. It's not, exactly. it's not their identity, you know? Yeah, exactly. After graduating from high school, Ellen went off to the University of New Orleans, but dropped out after one semester. Same. <laughs> I went to college for like three weeks and I was like, this is not for me. These people are not going to tell me what to do. Fuck you. Even though I had a $40,000 scholarship. Yeah. But we're just going to brush that under the table she never returned and was never earned and never earned a college degree same you don't have to earn college degree by the way no you don't your value should not be placed i like i have such an issue with this because on one hand i really value education like truly truly deeply value it but on the other hand if i have to be enslaved to to debt for the rest of my life it's not worth an education i think that's bullshit it's immoral and you're asking me to choose between the two like Mm -hmm. i can be enslaved to debt forever or i can live in a society that tells me that i'm less than because i don't have a college education and neither of those things are completely true it's not it's not and i even talked to my therapist about this um and she was like well i honestly think you've educated yourself more than a college degree could have given you and i feel the same way because i have put in the hours and the work and the fucking sweat that you have to put in to prove yourself in a society that demands so much of a college degree so if you didn't go to college put two middle fingers up and say fuck it you don't have to yeah um and if you did go to college, good for you. I hope you're able to pay it off and I hope, you know, good. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's like a right double-edged wrong, sword. Yeah. Not one way isn't wrong, you know? Yeah. If you are, feel comfortable doing that and especially if you have parents who can pay, help you pay for it, great, mm-hmm. you know? I would 
if college was made free, I'd probably go, you know, especially online. I would get, because I, like, same with you, I love education. Mm -hmm. And I would love to get more educated on certain subjects, but you don't have to. I would 100% go if college was free. Mm -hmm. When college is made free, I will absolutely go back to college. But before then, I'm not doing it. I'm not Mm -hmm. doing that to my family. Right. Yeah. So just to give anybody who hasn't gone to college a little bit of hope, Evan and I have both made it. We're pretty... I would say we're comfortable, successful, and we don't have a college degree. David doesn't have my uh, Mm -hmm. fiance also does not have a college degree. And he just got promoted um, in his company over to to a supervisor role over people who do have a college degree. So just fucking put the work in YouTube, a bunch of shit. Learn what you need to learn. Do tests on your own. Mm -hmm. Whatever you want to go into, just fucking put your best foot forward. And if the college and if the job says it requires a college degree to pl- apply anyways, because yeah. I've gotten plenty of jobs that say they requ- require a college degree and I don't have one. Go in with the confidence of who you are. Don't let them measure you. Don't when they say, you I see you don't have a college degree. You say, no, I don't. But I've done this, this and this. You know, you can mm-hmm. educate yourself. There's a lot of free courses that you can take. Mm-hmm. A lot of the same courses that people will take, pay thousands of dollars for. You can get for free. And you can put those on your resume, you know, that you've li- you know, you can you can't you might not be able to put that you have a degree, but you can take that, you know, you take in these different courses you can build a cv a cv is different than a resume a cv is any kind of education or training that you've taken you put that on you build a cv you present that um that we can't get into all that but uh <laughs> because we're already running so low on time but the point i don't know is, why i'm so talkative today <laughs> we'll save some of it for the next episode we have a good good person we're covering but um but but yeah, the point is you can make it without a college degree. You are going to have to work hard. You will not make mm-hmm. it if you don't work hard. But if you work hard, you you can make it with mm-hmm. that one. So instead of going to college, Ellen began to work full time juggling jobs at JCPenney during the day and TGI Fridays in the evening. She started doing stand up at coffee shops and bars and then got a job as an official MC for Clyde's Comedy Club in New Orleans in the 1981. Her career shot off like a cannon, and by 1984, she was named Showtime's Funniest Person in America. Ellen began to tour the city and earn a living. Ellen began to tour the country. Imagine she's only touring Atlanta, (laughs) Texas. (laughs) All three bars, over and over. Um, She began to tour the country and earn a living wage as a comedian. She took a job at Disney's Epcot Center and made a series of films called Ellen's Energy Adventure. The show eventually turned into a ride, given the same name, and ran for 21 years. As her acting career took off, Ellen found herself landing several spots on shows that kept getting canceled. Then, in 1992, she was given a lead role in the show, These Friends of Mine. Which, before we go to the next paragraph, Mm -hmm. have you thought about doing any more comedy, or did you do it kind of like a learning experience and you feel like you got what you needed from it? Um, I, yeah, I think so. It's not that I would never want to do comedy again. I think that my schedule is just filled now. Mm -hmm. Like at that time I was processing a lot of anger and I wanted to try new things. It was the first time that I was really trying new things. And Mm -hmm. this was years after leaving the cult, but I was putting myself out there. So to say that I I would never do stand up again, I I can't say that's true, but I thought you were really great at it, by the way. Well, I enjoyed it. Um, and, and, and I feel like I did pretty good. You did great. You had the whole audience (laughs) roar in. But I just have other things now. Like, I don't know. I, I don't you know. You don't need I, it for fulfillment like you did at the time? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, there are comedians, like, that is their calling. Like, Ellen DeGeneres, her calling is to make people laugh, I feel. And that's not my calling. Right. So. No, I get it. I'm yeah. curious because you were great. 
thanks. <laughs> so by the second season of These Friends of Mine, the show was retitled and simply called Ellen. So she came on as like one of the cast members and then like, oh, we'll just make this about you. <laughs> it was based on Ellen's life and adventures and became wildly popular. By 1997, Ellen DeGeneres was one of the most popular comedians in America and her popularity was beginning to spread around the world. It seemed like nothing would stop her from her skyrocketing career and then an explosion happened as the show dropped the puppy episode. Few television episodes have ever been more influ- have ever had more influence on mainstream TV than Ellen's The Puppy episode. In the two-part episode, Ellen's character comes out as gay to her therapist, played by Oprah Winfrey. The actress, who was so worried the contents of the episode might be leaked, that or that the audience might get t- uh, or that the audience might get tipped off, that she used a code word "puppy" to help alleviate suspicion. She would later joke to People magazine. It was called the puppy episode because we wanted to to keep it a secret until it aired and because Ellen throws her career away was just too on the nose. (laughs) (laughs) And I think in 1997, isn't that the year Melissa Etheridge came out? Uh, was it? Was it that year? I when thought she was, came out before. When was Bill Clinton's inauguration? Must have been before that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's 1991, 1992. 92, 93, yeah. So, yeah. A little bit later. Yeah. Um... But that, but that wasn't the only safety precaution that was taken. The planning for the episode began more than... A year earlier. The planning for the episode began more than a year earlier when Ellen became pressured by producers to form a romantic attraction with a male partner on the show. She explained that the chemistry simply would not exist. I mean, I totally <laughs> get that because like, if, no. if I was an actor and they're like, you have to have this romantic relationship with this girl, I'd be like, or this woman, I should say, sorry. Yeah. I'd be like, that's not going to happen. They're like, Ellen, we'll get you anyone. You want. What, you want Brad Pitt? You want Tom Hanks? Who do, who do you want? Come on, Ellen. And she's like, it's not going to matter, fellas. It's not going to matter. Uh-huh. In May of 1996, she pitched her idea to producers who were not sure it was even possible, let alone wise, for the star to come out as gay on national television. They also did not know if it was possible to continue airing such a popular series with a main lead as an out lesbian, nor did they assume they could keep secret news of such a groundbreaking episode. Yet eventually, producers got on board and started work on a moment that would revolutionize television and the social exposure of queer people. Writers were so nervous the script would be leaked that they printed scripts on red paper with black ink to deter photocopies. Any script left behind by an actor or actress was promptly shredded. Production finally began in March of 1997. As they rehearsed the pinnacle scene where Ellen comes out in the airport, the actress repeatedly broke down into tears. It was made even more emotional due to the fact that many of the actors, extras, and staff had no idea Ellen was going to come out. The episode was filmed in the future. Why? What did I write? What do I do when I'm writing? I don't know. My mind right, runs so I like far ahead of me. I like question that too because I read stuff and I'm like, <laughs> I'm just going to go with it and assume it's right. <laughs> okay. Among the extras that day was Ellen's own mother, Betty, who was just as taken back as everyone else. Now, I don't know if Betty did, knew that Ellen was gay before. I mean, other than- And then than, was one of those parents that was just like, no, that's not true. Well, you just feel that I way. I think that's probably true. I don't know if Ellen had come out to her mom mm-hmm. before, but there's you have to remember- this is Ellen's character coming out and Ellen right, coming out. Right, so right. just the shock that you would have a gay character, a gay, like mm-hmm. you're the, the title. This is the Ellen show. Right. And Ellen is coming out on the show. That's shocking. So yep. it was just all very shocking for all people. The following month, Ellen herself came out in a blazing fashion as she graced the cover of Time's April cover with the words, yep, I'm gay. The comedian then went on a bit of a national tour, appearing on Oprah's talk, popular talk show and giving comments to local news and radio shows. She even went public with her then-girlfriend, Anne Heche. But even though she seemed so comfortable in public, she knew that once the episode aired, things would most likely change for the rapidly rising star. 
The studio had announced the contents of the episode earlier that year, which is um, how they had secured stars such as Oprah Winfrey, Laura Dern, Melissa Etheridge, and Billy Bob Thornton. Ellen's public coming out during this time fanned the hype and suspense of the show's puppy episode. The American Family Association pressured, pressured ABC to cancel the episode. Major businesses pulled their advertising, including JCPenney, Chrysler, and Wendy's, which severed all connections with the show completely. Protesters showed up outside the studio, and conservative pundits and leaders called for an end to the promotion of homosexuality. Yet still, on April 30th, 1997, the puppy episode aired on ABC and was viewed by more than 42 million people. It was the highest ratings ever for the show and would later earn a primetime Emmy, a Peabody Award, Peabody Award, sorry, living in Massachusetts a little bit, <laughs> and a GLAAD Media Award. In 2009, TV Guide would rate the episode as number 46 on a list of 100 most influ- influential episodes of all time. So that I mean they did so so basically she set it up like she came out before the episode aired but she so she didn't come out before it was filmed so it was filmed mm-hmm. and then she does a national coming out and they they kind of leak like yeah we're gonna someone's gonna come out on the show I wonder who it could be big <laughs> surprise you'll never guess it and I think people just were like there's no fucking way mm-hmm. or and especially if you're gay you know how many times they've hyped up something like. Well, let's go back to Frozen, how they hyped up and gay baited us, queer baited us into thinking that Elsa was going to come out as a lesbian. (laughs) And then they just fucking fell flat on their face. Ah, Just kidding. (laughs) So you also, it's like, come on, are you really going to come out? It's 1997. I mean, for Christ's sake, Mm -hmm. who's going to come out? I love that we talk about 1997 (laughs) like it was so long ago. But in terms of queer uh, liberation, it really was. Yeah, it it really was. And and the advances that have been made and a big part of that, um, this is no Ellen is not responsible for the rights we have today but the exposure on television is very much responsible because of Ellen and that exposure is very much fueled the flames of the queer revolution that we've seen in the 2000s like absolutely being able for people to publicly come out and take that stand and for someone of that um that prominence to come out was massive and think about people in small towns who Mm -hmm. have no exposure to queer people to see somebody on national television if you were a queer person in a small town who has never you have to live in quiet Mm -hmm. and silence and you see that yeah that's a spark of revolution Mm -hmm. inside of you because you're like okay there are people like me they're on national television what can i do you know just seeing somebody like that it really is just like a spark that can kindle a fire so much So, however, though it would be decades before the significance of that moment would truly sink into the public conscience, while LGBTQ plus groups were thrilled by the doors Ellen's coming out had opened, the angry backlash was overwhelming. Anti-queer organizations erupted in protests across the country. A bomb threat was made on the studio. Infuriated bigots wrote thousands of angry letters to Ellen and the show's staff. Jerry Falwell started calling her Ellen Degenerate, to which Ellen shot back. I've been called that since I was in fourth grade. Honestly, I'm just happy to give him some work. Same. <laughs> but while her wit and humor had certainly bulked her resiliency, the national outcry over her orientation broke Ellen's heart. All she had ever wanted to do was bring joy and love to people's lives, and now she was an outcast for being open about her own joy and love. Which, you know what? She could have turned into a villain at this point and she made a have. huge career out of being a queer villain. Yeah. But she didn't. Slightly. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> Ellen was canceled the following year after objections that the show had become too gay. Even the famous son of Ch- Cher, Chaz Bono, to the Southern Voice, 
It's one thing to have a gay lead character, but it's another when every episode deals with specific gay issues. How dare you? How As if gay th- dare you? takes part of every part of your life. Imagine if you were gay and it, t- it was part of your life. That's not how real life is. No, no, it never interferes with any other part of my life. And the show had focused much of its following episodes to Ellen Morgan, Ellen's character, journey to self-discovery and understand and the understanding of her identity. But to claim that the only show on television talking about queer issues was too gay ignored the fact that there was no other place to consume queer content on mainstream television. Yet the president of ABC agreed with Bono and canceled the show in 1998, telling the press the show was dying because it became a program about a lead character who was gay every single week. As opposed to the weeks when you're not You know, gay. she's a lesbian once a month. <laughs> One June, week a you month. you can be queer, and if it's not June, then you better you fucking know shut up about she it. She has to live her life like she's a straight person. Except You can throw in a little sprinkle of queer every now and then. Maybe she meets a, la- a nice lady to date. But on the other episode, she needs to be as heterosexual mm-hmm. as possible. Yes, exactly. Ironically, the same year, the widely successful and popular show Will and Grace was launched, and somehow the focus on two flamboyantly gay men, a drunken bisexual, and dedicated head what weren't seen as too gay for network television and you know it's that not only the white gay privilege but also karen was pretty fucking awesome well she, she was. was the glue of the show the, the cast <laughs> the cast of will and grace you really have to like they you have to hand it to them ellen did not have that kind of supporting cast mm-hmm. i don't even think she had a cast not that they didn't support her directly but that's not what they had signed up for right, right? they signed up for like the uh, the pre-friends type right. of show yep. and then it became a gay show the people of will and grace knew we're going into we're gonna we're a gay show and we're gonna talk mm-hmm. about gay things and it's gonna be about gay life so i mean you got to be fair there but it just proved that this idea that people didn't want to show that was too gay wasn't the issue. Right. You had the wrong cast, but that wasn't why people didn't want to see it. Exactly. Because Will and Grace went on to be incredibly successful and even came back for a second run. That's still been pretty good. Mm-hmm. During this time, Ellen struggled with the loss of her show and the deep hatred directed at her. For the next two years, she was able to secure a few acting roles, but but her popularity and job offers plummeted. She has described this as one of the darkest moments of her life and spent most of it hidden away with Anne Heche until the two split in 2000. And people wonder why lesbians are angry. (laughs) Right? Jesus. (laughs) The new millennium rang in silence for Ellen, who wondered if she would ever break through in show business again. She happened to meet an attractive actress by the name of Portia de Rossi. However, the Allie McBeal star was not ready to come out of the closet and did not want to reveal to the comedian her orientation or her attraction to Ellen. One bright light for DeGeneres was her mother's love and acceptance. Though Betty's conservative upbringing had taught her to fear the LGBTQ+, she refused to let her daughter go. Together, the two built a new relationship based on truth and authenticity. Betty was gone, has gone on to serve as a member of PFLAG and worked as a human rights spokesperson. Good for you, Betty. Yeah. That's how you should be as a parent. After the terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001, Ellen was called in to host the Emmys. Her tact mixed with humor, comfort, and hope earned her resounding praise, which soon culminated into her welcomed return. She initially returned in a short-lived show on CBS called The Ellen Show, but it didn't gain any traction and was canceled after a single season. Then, in 2003, Ellen voiced the Disney icon Dory in the hit movie Finding Nemo. I didn't know that. Are you fucking kidding yeah, me? Yeah, I really didn't know Ellen was Nemo. I mean, no. Dory. I really didn't Shut know Shut up. I, I promise you, I oh didn't know. Oh my God. You get out. I get did out it. of it. You're done. Podcast is done. It's canceled. Canceled. Folks. Paul's Literally, been kicked off. It turned into the Evan like, show. One of the like three most, like, whatever. 
Go ahead. I don't know anything about television, okay, <laughs> or movies. Um, that same year, she launched her award-winning daytime talk show, The Ellen DeGeneres Show. She really switched up the title there, which has continued for the last 17 years. She's like, Eventually, well, you it's know, stuck, right? <laughs> we're just we're gonna still do Ellen. That They're like, Ellen, maybe I the problem am, is we should change the name. No. Like, no. I'm Ellen. It is going to be in the title. We'll just add my last name. If it and doesn't have my be, name, I don't do it's it. It's going to be totally different. You don't get it. But you know what? It did uh, finally stick. Yeah. It's continued for the last 17 years. It's been nominated 55 times for a daytime Emmy and won 32 of those, which is really fucking good. Yeah. The year after her talk show launched, Ellen became the spokesperson for American Express and would later hold the same titles for businesses such as CoverGirl, Walmart, and JCPenney in 2012. 15 years after the organization had withdrawn its advertising over the puppy episode. You know what? I was thinking in my head, I would have said, fuck you, JCPenney. I'm not doing that. But yeah. what a great way to be like, to really say fuck you, because yeah. now I'm the fucking face of your company. That's more of a fuck you than denying, well, than turning down the job and also the money. Um, you yeah. got to also think about her, her whole full life at JCPenney, because JCPenney was her first job. Mm-hmm. And then JCPenney was one of the main advertisers that pulled funding that caused her show to collapse. Mm-hmm. And then she became the face of, of JCPenney. Mm-hmm. So, and then they went out of business. So <laughs> Ellen had the last laugh. <laughs> That's true. Um, Ellen continued to live her life openly, becoming more involved in the fight for LGBTQ plus rights and marriage equality in America. She had spoken at Matthew Shepard's vigil in 1998 and continued to work to bring awareness to queer issues around the world. But most of the education she really provided was simply by living her life openly and unashamed. While people had watched her previous romances unfold, it was her story with future wife Portia that truly caught the public's fascination. Portia has admitted that she fell in love with Ellen the first time she met her in early 2000. However, it would be years before she would express her feelings for the comedian. As she told Oprah, I was closeted. <laughs> Shut up. I'm doing the Australian accent. I was closeted and very, very afraid that if I talked about being gay, it would end my career. So then I certainly wasn't going to go and date the most famous lesbian in the world. Listen, our like third biggest listenership is in Australia. <laughs> so if you could not piss off those uh, no, listeners, I'm doing I would everything. appreciate it. I just also love that I did Borsha's. So then I first, I, it, I don't know that it's in Australia. I don't even know what that is. It's like some kind of like borough in England. I don't know, but I did it. But I do like her line. She's like, so, I, you know, I'm closeted. So I'm di- definitely not going to date the most famous lesbian in the world, which yeah, is just like such a good point. That is such a good point. Like, um, yeah, no. But love is more powerful than our fears. And eventually Portia could no longer ignore her feelings. She continued in her interview with Oprah. We were at a we were at a party and I went over to say hi and she turned around. It was like an arrow shot through my heart. I felt weak at the knees and I was overwhelmed with how I felt but then it took me about 10 months to get up the courage to actually do anything about it which is how I felt when I walked past David at that uh, dating thing and you were trying to convince me to talk to him and I was like no he's too cute (laughs) and then he sat across from me after you kicked Erica out. Yeah. Big issue there. (laughs) The couple began dating in 2004 and were married in 2008 when gay marriage was legalized in California. They had been together ever since celebrating 16 years together Porsche's comment that Ellen is the most famous lesbian in the world may possibly be true she is certainly a worldwide name and some of the first words that come to mind are funny and gay mm-hmm. to her credit Ellen has used her notoriety to bring immense exposure to LGBTQ issues cultural perceptions and discrimination in 2011 she was made a special envoy to the global AIDS awareness by then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton she has continued to use her platform and talk show to advocate for the queer community a recent example is when she shed light on the transgender military members after 
after Trump banned trans people from serving. And her activism doesn't end with the LGBTQ community. She has also advocated and funded animal rights services, including the Ellen DeGeneres Wildlife Fund. Mm -hmm. In the nearly 24 years since the puppy episode, Ellen DeGeneres has done nothing but thrive. Her resiliency and authenticity have shown through in her work again, again and again. She's written books, hosted countless award shows and ceremonies, earned dozens of awards herself, and even earned the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Barack Obama. Forbes listed her as the 15th highest powerful and influential, uh, 15th highest paid entertainer in the world. Wait, Forbes listed her as the 15th highest paid entertainer in the world, and she's continuously on yearly lists of most powerful and influential celebrities. When she made the leap to be open and honest about her identity, she could have no idea what the future would bring. Yet she chose her right to love and express her identity regardless of the consequences. Take note, Lindsey Graham. <laughs> and along the way, she inspired thousands more to do the same. And that just goes to show she fucking will put her fucking work Mm-hmm. work where her mouth is I don't know money where your mouth is same yeah, thing money, yeah. she will fucking go for it and you know what if you don't have a college degree do the same shit and you'll be successful that's true <laughs> so your recommended resources are the book The Funny Thing Is by DeGeneres and Relatable available on Netflix so happy birthday belated a little bit but happy birthday to you Ellen and just uh, you know thank you for having the courage to come out all those years ago um, media and, and television in general has forever been changed because of that moment. Yes, and it's empowerful, and this is what we always say, you have to be loud for the people who don't have a voice, and she fucking did it. And did it cost her for a few years? Yeah, but look where she's at today. Exactly. So stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our little allied hookers. And little succulent saphis. Resist the oppressors, our proud homocrats. And have yourself a sodomy circus. Or don't. And, and Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter. Matter. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.